a shrewd business leader, a supply chain professional, and sourcing strategist. Our guest today is all about improving the bottom lines and growing businesses. This is Meet Me at the Top. So today we are in West Africa and we are speaking with Mr. Banjo. He is a leading procurement personality within the region and beyond. But let me ask him first to tell us a bit about himself and uh, his work that he's been doing, basically how he started and how he's been going. All right. Thanks, Simba, and thanks for having me. Actually, right to mention, my name is Atene Kabanjo. been in the industry for two decades. I started out in the south-south region of Nigeria, in the shipyard. So I graduated with a bachelor's of technology degree in maritime management technology. So really isn't a surprise I ended up to the shipyard or kicked off the shipyard. Started out work doing supply chain management for the shipyard, supported construction engineer, doing market surveys, you know, generally supporting of the work, building barges, repairing barges, handling tugboats. And the, the, the major project which basically all marked my entrance into the industry was uh, a shell project awarded to us to supervise the construction of barges. That was my first foray into supply chain management. It was really about supervising the construction of about eight barges. The actual construction was handled by the Nigerian Marble Shipyard, of course, the military guys, but professional military guys. And we had the responsibility to supervise to demonstrate more standards. It was basically an extension of what we used to do in war in our shipyard where we would take on an actual new build from scratch, source all the materials and then use the materials to, you know, bring to life whatever it is we had in the drawing. Here, some other persons were going to do the actual construction, source all the materials, but we'll have oversight function. So I, I basically stepped into the industry having some kind of supervisory role a huge and Korean task, three of us on the project, the owner of the organization at the time, my supervisor and myself being junior person. But you know, that kind of junior person where there's a lot of respect and, you know, art supervisors are around, at standpoints and what art to be done or not done, you know. So but that that gave me responsibility. It was a good place to start. In in a sense, it's the core of the supply chain. So the supply chain really is plan, source, make, and move. And here we were or from the planning, we were in exactly being the sourcing, we were the sites and the making. And then when it was done, it actually moved to the client. So again, that, that's where it all started. I eventually moved on to a bit of consulting also within the maritime industry. A bit of training and back into construction and then materials management and procurement. And then the, the top procurement starts shaping my career. Those were the early stages of my career. 
I moved on to NBO Engineering, doing a bit of work for Global Offshore Pipeline. And then I had this opportunity to um, get into shipping as a materials coordinator. And then actual procurement really started taking root. As a materials coordinator for the facilities engineering and legal capital projects team, I had on the side function of materials used for multi million or multi billion dollar projects. I think for the Topcom and East, Topcom used to be taxable, but the Topcom and East area we had a spend of about $3.4 billion in capital projects. And we are responsible for all the materials, working with those within procurement, the actual buying team, the materials management team, the expediting team, and all of that. At that time, I led a team of about five to nine materials coordinators, stores, men, and different persons within um, the supply chain function. From Chevron, I moved on to join Adex Petroleum, doing similar work, but a bit extended into local content. Again, there was talk at the time about legislation within Nigeria, which was supposed to add more value to the Nigerian economy through domiciling some specific um, work in country ensuring that we build local capacity. So within ADAX, I had responsibility for materials, logistics, and local content at different times. That exposed me to, you know, buying materials for projects as course, multi-billion dollar projects again. But the extension into local content was entirely new and very challenging. Local content is a, is a part of the supply chain and procurement that's somewhat unique and it's something that helps to use daily appreciate the, the, the enormity of, you know, what is going on within the country, what will go on within the country and the, the amount of value that an organization can, you know, you know, bring to the table from their different projects. That did not only expose me to work within the organization, it extended beyond the organization. Because at the time, there was really no legislation in place. All we had were directives from the government. And we were on the journey to, you know, putting legislation in place. It also meant that we had an industry think tank. I ably represented my organization at the time, relating with legislators shifting the conversation or shaping the conversation in the manner that would be beneficial to the organization that we worked for and would also achieve the goals set by the government. So it was, was an interesting period for me doing local content from a procurement perspective, promoting local and um, international partnerships between local players and international providers and then gradually wrapping up capacity development for the local providers that, you know, at the time started finding their feet. These were basically individuals who had built their careers and then had opted out of multinational organizations and started their own local companies and were gradually building competencies, picking up transfers, technology, and then partnering with, you know, their 
foreign counterparts who, of course, were already well-dressed in whatever it is they were doing, and so that there'll be that technology transfer. That quickly metamorphosed into legislation. So what was directed for local content immediately um, ended up being an act. So what was the local content bill eventually became an act. Interestingly, at the time, we transitioned from directive to legislation. I also transitioned from uh, one organization to another. So uh, I then moved fully. Uh, I had a middle-level procurement role as a category manager. Very typical uh, of my career, I had to do it. Capital expenditure, maintenance, repairs, and operations. So that was a category manager role, a procurement category manager role for capital expenditure, uh, maintenance, repairs, and operations. At this time, I moved from the oil and gas industry, which was mainly hallmarked by work in Chevron, work in ADAX, a bit of extension to Shell contracts and some ExxonMobil contracts. So I moved into fasting with consumer goods. It's, it's an interesting thing to have. I've had the opportunity to move from one animal industry to another. Starting from maritime, a shipyard, moving into coal, oil and gas, and then moving out of oil and gas into fasting with consumer goods. I was particularly enamored by the fact that the organization at the time, that was Diageo, uh, were very interested in attracting, uh, over was so interesting that I, I spent, I think it was all of three to five days, if I recall correctly, five days in Kenya without being an employee. So I had five days being part of the Africa procurement conference as somebody who they were in talks with to join the organization, but we really hadn't landed a deal. So it was, was that interesting. Quite frankly, I was very impressed with how they did procurement and was my first real foray into strategic sourcing. Allow me at this time to, you know, build a bit around the body of knowledge or to paint a picture of my understanding of, you know, this our work, which we call procurement horses. So typically everybody can buy, everybody buys. I mean, you go that road, you pick up something from the one rag, one dollar, one naira shop. And, you know, you exchange, you know, currencies. So as long as there's an offer and an acceptance and you move on. So then we use different terms to describe what we do. So you get buy, you get purchasing, you get procurement, and then you also get sourcing. They, 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 they probably have different meanings to different people. And the body of knowledge that we uh, call procurement and all sourcing is one that is evolving. Might not necessarily be as matured as the engineering body of knowledge or the medical body of knowledge or, you know, the likes more and all of that. But it is growing supply chain in itself. So I, th this is, I would paint the picture. Buying is regular, regular thing. You buy, get something from someone. Purchasing is basically, you know, trying to put a bit of documentation or structure around the procurement. Goes a step further to actually plan what it is that you're purchasing and all buying. And strategic sourcing is getting as close to the source of what you're buying as much as possible and where it is necessary and uh, where it is possible based on if you have enough leverage of volume, you buy it directly from the source. 
So you start talking strategic sourcing where you're looking at um, understanding business requirements, understanding what your spend profile has been, taking all of that and understanding markets, understanding the leverage you have in the markets, how the markets play for or against you, how you can look at um, those dynamics and then shape out something that brings value to you at the end of the day. So, you know, so you, 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 we, we use those different terms. So if I can just backtrack to where, you know, all turns around our profession kicked in. Strategic sourcing was basically introduced to me through the agile in, in, in a very unique and different way. And my, my time there was, you know, superb to say the list. So I learned a great deal and did a great deal out there also. Works around customer engineering, spares, doing a bit of work around capex expenditure, extending that into some additional MRO work around DMIs. I was the managed inventories for a total cost of ownership acquisition of packaging lines and jewelry equipment and all of that. So, you know, it's, it's been a long journey. And I had moved in roles of increasing responsibility from the Agile. While in the Agile, I had the opportunity of being one of the few that were picked to be uh, in the Agile Leadership or Africa Leadership Program, which basically meant that the next level would be a junior director. I moved on from the Agile right after that program and did a bit of work uh, in printing with a company called Just Twins. At the time, and I believe they probably still had that vision, it was really about extending or being one of the key players within the West African sub-region for security printing and mating with a market entrance strategy that, you know, I was taxed with, you know, driving back. So I was director of strategy and controls for the organization. I got back into uh, fast moving consumer goods with SAB Wheeler as the head of procurement for West Africa, or the procurement director for West Africa. Pretty much to, to another level, what I, I initially had, you know, I was doing in Diageo. So we, with SAB Miller, we were also in transition. The year I joined was when it was announced that they probably could look at a merger with all a combination, that was the word that was used at the time, with ABN Bank. The combination ended up being, you know, a bio work for all intents and purposes. But the work really for, for me within SAB was to deploy a global procurement model that was finding its way into Africa and would find expression through my work in the West African region. So I met the procurement team there. From working with SAB Milan, immediately AB Invert took over and moved on to consulting, doing um, supply chain management, marine consulting or consultancy events, I think strategic sourcing. And I did that for about three years and I moved into my current role. So my current role, and I mean, this is why I bring this, this story to you. Crescendo. Uh, my current role is um, the head of procurement at Sahari Group Limited, 
in, in this role, I need a team. Um, my team and I have the rare opportunity to influence and in um, the operating companies that Sahara has. Sahara is an organization that has progressive investments and activities in over 40 countries and extensive footprint that goes um, beyond energy and by energy I mean upstream, downstream, midstream, oil and gas and then power generation, power distribution and there's also that play within infrastructure. So that's 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 me in a nutshell. It's a big nut though. <laughs> Which part of your journey do you look back on and say this was an amazing time for me on a personal level? Well, there, it's not one, two, or three, it's several, but if I was doing that, you'd narrow it down to one, which is what you're yes. making me do somewhat. <laughs> I can imagine all my past and present employers listening in. But again, you know, it's the totality. If one was looking at the totality of value either way to the employee and then to the employer, my time at Yaju would stand out specifically for the learning for myself. Of course, the organization had their own benefits, but again, this is about me and not just them. There are significant benefits to them in the kind of projects that we worked on, the kind of leadership I had the opportunity to serve under, the kind of followership I had the opportunity to lead. But in terms of learning and becoming a better sourcing professional or procurement professional, my time at Diageo stands out. Why does it stand out? The Diageo Academy. The opportunity to bring to life the specifics that you have learned and the applicability of the moment. I mean, it's best experienced that that's spoken about. So let me give some specific examples. When I joined the organization, that is structure, I think it was also the leadership of the team I have worked in. That this structure where for the first month you had absolutely nothing but just learning about the organization, their ways of working, policies, procedures, you were doing tests and exams, going through courses, and coming out of that one month, you, know, you almost felt like you could speak the agile there was such a language. You could, you know, talk about, you know, how the organization was set up, how you're expected to work. From a procurement perspective, you could literally write a, a category strategy or sourcing strategy or understand what your supplier performance metrics were. The whole works. I think I understand what you're referring to. What you get of that is really understanding the expectations. And I think that is very, very important for any career when you're developing to get to a point where you know what is the expectation and then it becomes more clear what you should then do as opposed to we want the stars, but we don't really have anything. So this we experience where you learn and you actually then see what is value for the employer, what is value for the customer, 
and therefore you are able to set your pace or your performance to meet that level. Yeah, I think it's always a, a, a good uh, environment where you can get that kind of a feedback and uh, a, a direction. Absolutely, absolutely. Looking at your current role, how are you overcoming the biggest challenges that you're facing? I guess commerce and industry cannot talk about business without pointing at, you know, a finger at COVID. If you're operating within the Nigerian economy, the forex headwinds haven't also been, you know, as friendly to most business ships sailing in the Nigerian economic waters. So th those are two things that stand out on a macro level. But if we're going to go a bit micro into actual procurement work, leveraging technology and managing change. I think one of the things every organization uh, realizes and practices, and my current organization is also extremely good at that, is in, uh, managing change. But again, change is not always comfortable. Change basically takes off your takes you out of your comfort zone, makes you uncomfortable for a bit, and then begins to introduce you to new things, a new way of working. So it's been that move within the technology space and managing change, and then trying to create uh, a working environment with the, the micro balance of what Forex is doing, changing prices because of Forex. Andrea is not exactly an economy that does enough in terms of production. So a good number of the things you're buying are coming from outside and therefore impacted by Forex. And then, you know, how COVID impacted the supply chain and there were so many uncertainties. So the big thing for us as a team, we have our objective as a group procurement team and it's basically to assure availability. For you to assure the availability of goods and services, you need to have one an outlet of what it is that you require. So understand the dismal requirement. But beyond that, you need to understand what the market is saying and what, what the market can do to match and provide the necessary goods and services which you need to make available. So that, that's where Forex impacting pricing and COVID impacting actual availability and on the smooth running of the supply chain are they too. Those are, those are the big things. Thank you for that. I know localization is a big topic in Africa, particularly when there are a few countries that we know we have really gone into it. And from my perspective, the results have not been as expected. So my question to you is, how have you experienced it? What, what are the lessons? What have you observed? Some localization. So understanding that you are uh, a local e economy or a local organization working in the global economy. How does it impact procurement? And looking at, you know, how close we can get to the, the actual source. The first, let, let me say the legislation that we have in Nigeria is somewhat limited to the oil and gas industry. In fact, it is specifically for the oil and gas industry, but there is 
or there are some extensions to oh. our, so there are some local content target sets. So the world legislation we currently have is called Nigerian Oil and Gas Industry Content Act. That's Nigerian Oil and Gas Industry Content Act. As it impacted us from a procurement perspective, quite frankly, within the oil and gas industry, significant strides have been made. Whether you want to put that credit at the doorstep of the leadership of the oil and gas of the Nigerian Content Monitoring Board team, or the sorry, the leadership of the NCBNB, or the players in the industry, MLS. It depends on who you are asking. But the truth must be told. We now can and do manufacture steel. Steel items. So, flanges, fittings, some stop boats are done in Nigeria now. Spiral-long gaskets are being done in Nigeria. Some valves are being coupled in Nigeria. So while we might not necessarily uh, be where the industrialized nations are, we have made significant strides in the right direction. The only challenge I see is bringing that to the kind of level that the industrialized nations and attain and do continue to attain would be what localization as we see it. How affordable is it for a manufacturer to start or to manufacture in Nigeria? And manufacturing, the word manufacturer is used in inverted commas. I'd explain that. So you can bring knockdown components in country and put them together here, and that would be one definition of manufacturing. But you could also source all the raw materials and, you know, bring those together and do the conversion from maybe the base metal through to whatever intermediate material what have you ever figured to say about local content and what the government has done so far is the fact that the strikes that have been made oil and gas industry have been extended to other arms of industry and government is putting some kind of structure. Learning from the magic law, the biggest challenge you face really is buying local. Because when you do have to buy local, you require some kind of government intervention to ensure that that happens. So if government does not insist, the reality, more often than not, is quality is a challenge. Since we are developing the capacity to be able to deliver the quality that is necessary to build customer and consumer confidence, we need to allow the journey to mature to the point where our quality cannot only be used locally but can also be exported. Well, I think that was an eye-opener and there are lessons that we can learn from because as we proceed towards Africa Free Trade area, 
we hope that we can actually see a boon for small enterprises and give them the necessary scale. Because we have a free common market, it broadens the market for the SMEs, which is then sustainable and they are able to scale up. Absolutely. Absolutely. What is the one tool you always carry with you? You've been to many organizations. How do you mind to fit in? How are you able to deliver value from industry to industry? What is your secret? Okay, so I, I get asked the same question uh, every now and again, but let me, let me simplify. And this is one of the things I like to do. Just try to simplify and my approach to simplification or simplifying things is put a structure around it and break it down into three. So for transitioning from one um, role to another, one job to another, I'd say focus on these three. Your education. That will be measured in the kind of certificates that you have, whether that's a degree certificate or your professional certification or some other kind of certificate. And make sure that it's relevant to the role that you're going for. Your experience. How long have you been on that specific job? All the different things that show that in the job description of the job that you are applying for. Have you actually done those things? How well have you done those things? Where have you done those things? So that is your experience. Experience is usually measured not in certificates, but in number of years or the amount of time in doing that specific thing. And finally, exposure. Now, exposure is a tricky one. But organizations look for that in a subtle way without actually declaring that they are looking for that. But the hiring manager, somebody in HR, and perhaps somebody who's signing off on the budgets to bring in an extra person would want to know, has this person not only done this before, but where has he or she done this before? Are there different ways of doing the same thing that this person knows? Now, the tricky part of it is, some would say and have this mindset of, if you've been in one organization for 15 years, then you only know one way to do it. Well, you didn't sit in the same role for 15 years. Some organizations have been or privacy of moving you around ever so often, whether that is every two years or three years or even four. So you've done different things, you've been exposed to different things. And as you go higher within your organization, you move away from managing tasks to managing people to be able to deliver on tasks. So if I could just summarize again, simplify. How do you simplify? As it relates to changing roles or changing careers, Education, measured in certificates. Experience, measured in time and years. Exposure, measured in the different ways you can do different things or the same thing. So you've done it here, you've done it there, you've done it this way, you've done it that way. That would help you if you're able to simplify that way. I, I can tell you, quite me would have a fantastic interview or conversation with your will be employers. Interesting. Did you have any mentor guiding you along this this road? Ah, yeah. So I didn't have one, not even two, three, or four. I have a clear from of mentors, and I'll I'll just you know tell you a bit about them. 
So I'll mention specific names. I hope they get to listen to this at some point. So there's a gentleman called Andrew Mamey. He is the general manager of operations in Chevron, Nigeria. Very senior person. Andrew mentored and still mentors me from a distance, but there's a specific thing I admire in him. One is, is a people leader, but the specific thing I take from Andrew is know what to say, when to say, and when not to say. And that's Andrew. He can be, he can ask questions, but he knows when to say something about the question, when to stop talking about whatever it is he's talking about. If we are expecting for Kiyama to be influential within the organization and the outside, I think that becomes a key a skill to have. Absolutely. And I, I mean, that, that's Andrew. I've got some other gentleman called Matthew Frost. He's an Englishman. He, he, has a, he strikes that necessary balance between formality and informality. And there were some challenging things I went through. I never knew that English would, you know, take some time to discuss that with you at that level. So he's different. But you can blame that on the exposure. I mean, he's, he's not sat in England all his work life. He's worked in Russia, he's worked in Africa. I mean, he's, he's been all over the world. So if you want to learn formality and balance that with, you know, being formal in the workplace, but still delivering on the work objectives, then, you know, Max is the right person for me at that point. And there's, there's a gentleman that I can work for. His name is Top Russian. I admire him for his bullish nature. He's just, he, he doesn't back down on the challenge and he goes for it. And he, he doesn't, he, if he bites on something, you're going to get the biggest bite that can. That's it, he's bullish. So yes. if, if, if I'm thinking on bringing on my bullish self, I think, oh, well, how would he do it? And yet some other person called, you know, call additional, he's, he's absolutely different. But, and then he, he, he just knows how to keep the right relationships. He knows how to make every relationship work. He knows how to, you know, whether you're the good, the bad, the ugly, he knows how to get value out of you. And there are plethora of people, so I wouldn't say it's just one person. Yeah, I'm sensing that a lot of soft skills really emanate from learning from someone that you are interactively on a day-to-day basis. I think to really become a master or comfortable, I think it's always uh, value-adding to have a mentor who is good in those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your task as a procurement person, the typical thing is gonna be direct by you're looking at data, you're looking at numbers, putting the structure around how we will buy or how we are bought and how we should buy going forward. But all those things are procurement tasks. At some point, you would have to work with people. At some point, you would have to meet people. At some point, you would have to get things done with and through people. So soft skills, definitely. A big must for procurement. And it's because we are customer-facing. So we've got people on the outside and people on the inside. And we need to strike the necessary balance to ensure that value is delivered at the end of the day. Let me give you this space to share with us selected experience from your vast years in procurement, some of the goals, targets, failures, and successes. Share with us that experience in 
you will be very, very rich and experience in your life. I will assume that, you know, my perception of rich, it will be the same as that of anyone that will be listening. So, pardon me if it doesn't come across as the same direction. Do you know something very important about Africa? We have the youngest population in the world and we also have high unemployment. We have a youth that is very educated. So what is the missing link? The gap is experience. This is the gap that Africa has right now. We have got good education, a very energetic population, but there is a lack of experience and that is creating this gap and stability around unemployment. So the advice and experiences that you're sharing with us are very, very important and will sustain and enable many, many people to actually advance in their careers and businesses. So we are going to be rich from listening to you. I, I will pick up a story without mentioning the specific organization. Well, I had the opportunity to let me say it was a litmus test to see what is possible and what my team at the time could deliver or bring to life. And I must say that different organizations have different stages of development. What I mean by that is, so if you're doing paper procurement within your organization, it doesn't make you a smaller or less efficient organization than one that has got some kind of e-procurement way of working. So, well, quite frankly, e-procurement is several steps ahead of paper procurement, but there, there are different things that you can do. So even with paper procurement, if you put the right structures in place and you gather your data and use the simplest of forms, you know, Excel, you, you could deliver a lot more value than somebody who's got e-procurement and doesn't know what to do with it. So in this specific example, we, I, I basically joined the organization and asked for, you know, data. Give me three years worth of data so we can look at what is possible and, you know, what can be done different. Because at the end of the day, you, you want to move from where you used to be to where you want to be. But chat a course, have a roadmap, have a journey. You cannot tell where you're going to sometimes, not all the time, without knowing where you're coming from. And with organizations, I dare say, all of the time, you need to know where you're coming from for land where you're going. So I'd asked for three years worth of data and in its rawest form. And this is my advice to most organizations. Start from where you are. Sometimes you are able to make that leap and what we use these days is disruption. Technology enables you to do that, to take giant leaps, you know. But more often than not, the resources that you need to move to your next level are already at your disposal. So we basically use the same tools that the data came in. Nothing like e-procurement, same plain Excel. 
there is something that you have with you, but you have not fully exhausted or optimized. There must be something else that can be done. And I don't know one person on earth who has fully mastered itself. So we looked at that and we said, okay, if this is your data, we are going to first clean the data. So we did a bit of cleaning. From cleaning the data, we said we would organize the data so that we can interrogate the data to understand it. So in organizing it, we decided to categorize the spend into easily identified categories. That meant that we were going to have broad categories, and in some cases, broad categories would not just cut it, subcategories. But I remember specifically, we ended up with, this is materials categories now, not necessarily buying categories, just general materials categories. We ended up with about um, 20, 25 categories, and then maybe 45 subcategories, just to be able to, you know, you know when data comes in the form where it is very, very raw, what I mean by that is, if you're buying a mouse today, somebody who's entering the data might enter it as Toshiba mouse. Yeah? Some other person comes in and says Microsoft mouse. Somebody says mouse, Microsoft. Somebody just puts mouse. Doesn't say whether it's Microsoft. The other person doesn't tell whether it's a wireless mouse or one that is wired. At the end of the day, you know, when you have that kind of level of raw data you are going to spend a lot of time trying to make a lot of sense out of it so we had that for an organization three years worth of it and it took us by the third or fourth day the, the gentleman who had given me the task started asking questions and i said hey this thing is very raw and we have to clean and all of that and i said oh no problem i'll send you a data person so with additional excel skills this data person did a bit of cleaning for another two days or three days. So today we had spent about four to six days and we had something that was clean enough for us to do categorization. From the categorization, we could then start saying that in year one, you bought this much of this category. But in year two, you seem to have dropped in, in terms of the spend. So your spending year one was, for an example, a billion miles or a billion dollars. But in year two, it dropped to like $200 million. What happened? There must be an explanation. So you're looking for trends. You're looking for things that are different. And then you're also looking for things that you can bring together. So from that data, we could say, this is how we were buying. But from analyzing, categorizing, and all of that, we are saying that this is how we should be buying. We are buying the same set of items from maybe 50 different people. But it seems you've brought all these categories together, you should know that anybody that's supplying this set of items should fall under this category. Why don't you take those 50 to maybe five, maybe two, maybe three? And it doesn't have to be instantly, it has to be over a period of time. And that decision should not be made in isolation. That decision should be made in conjunction with the people that have actually been buying. So that when you're moving from 50 to maybe five or two, you're doing it from an informed perspective and it's an all-inclusive decision. Not so guys were just sitting somewhere with a lot of data, making decisions that are not applicable to the people who are actually going to use the decisions. So we had that interaction. We talked to those people and said, hey, if you're going to move from this to this, what do you think? 
And from that information, decision making became easier. From the data that we 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 had, we could say this is the spend category, this is the spend for buyer, this is spend for department, this is spend for you know different things. And they could bring things together and be able to easily make decisions. So that, that, that for me is a story. Yeah, there are quite a few stories I like to tell, but that's a, a, a fresh one in my mind. I could go into the fast moving engineering spare story. I could go into the, you know, general story, but that for me is something fresh and something I like to, you know, put out there. Very interesting. I like how you laid out the steps you went on into a bit of the supply market, you know, getting the information from people who are buying as to what is the performance and the capacities of the different suppliers. I see why you, you mentioned uh, change management as being one of the key challenges and maybe opportunities as well for us as procurement to really able to master and uh, facilitate our organizations to get the best uh, they can get in you know. your can I just follow up on that question just try to imagine what sort of impact did you arrive at what sort of results did you get in in terms of now the business because I know you are very very focused on the, the profits you know the top line the revenue allowing the organization to increase production by providing materials and then also m m making it cheaper. So I think to borrow the language from you, I, I picked that up. You said affordability and, and availability. So uh, maybe you can share the results that you attained. Let me start from uh, assuring availability. And it's quite interesting what we do in our profession. Um, how people proceed to yeah, top line, bottom line. We always start with the top line and you know everything in between and then you get your bottom line. Um I, I particularly believe in the cost conscious mindset where you are constantly challenging cost. So that that drives a number of things that I do. At the end of the day the price you're paying for anything at all is a combination of all the cost elements plus a margin and then it ends up being a price. Soon as this impacted different organizations I worked for, first before you make an impact, you need to even see where you are. So the first thing I always say about our work is let's establish some kind of visibility. Visibility comes from one, gathering the information in such a way that it is readily available for retrieval. So that if the decision is about to be made, uh, I mean, the, the last question was about speed. We are doing something so right, was more like spend analytics. But I, I talked a bit about spend analytics, talking about spend by and spend by that. But if you're not gathering that data in the first place, if you're just leaving it to chance, and you are not reporting that data, that's where visibility comes in. Our reporting frequency, perhaps monthly, some do weekly. But if you if you if you have an ERP, it's with the click of a button, yeah, because you probably have built all those things into the system. If you don't have an ERP. You have somewhere when you're gathering the data, perhaps on Excel, 
it's electronic too, so it's easily available. So we need to first establish visibility. It is from that visibility that we can progress to spend analytics and then start making decisions and then ensure that the difference between the top line of an organization and the bottom line is significantly impacted by procurement and sourcing work. Now, I'll tell you two, two, two um, different industries that work very differently. One is the energy, so oil and gas, upstream, mainly upstream, because that's where my experience is good. And then fastening with consumer goods, uh, manufacturing. You'll find out that there's more cost efficiency in fastening with consumer goods than you have upstream. Why? Because the bottom line at the end of the day in oil and gas is huge. It is huge. It can be significant. Only recently, okay, so maybe recently when oil prices, you know, went down. But for a manufacturing outfit that has to go out there and compete on a daily basis with a competitor who has an idea in new entrance into the market, who has come to disrupt, and who's got a price point that can knock out your 2 million units of produced items in your store that has not made it to market you had better be very cost-efficient. So you'd, you'd find out that it's quite easier and better to own your sourcing and procurement skills within, you know, manufacturing or you world in, you know, other arms of industry, but that's a, that's a slight digression. The, the impact of what we do starts with visibility. With visibility comes responsibility. When what you're doing is visible, people are constantly seeing your numbers. And if you report your numbers, if you have a target as a number, say for an annual target, if you are not measuring that target, your performance versus actual on a regular basis, when I say regular, your regularity had better be on a monthly basis so that you can cost correct at any given time. If by the second month, you're supposed to have reached 50 and you're at 49, then you need to start looking for a recovery plan. But if it's supposed to be at 50 and you're at 60, you, you then begin to question, oh, did we set the right target? Or what exactly is responsible for this coverage from 50 to 60? Did we not see it? If we didn't see it, we should, you know, make room for it and then understand that it's not just going to be a stretch now. We didn't stretch ourselves enough. We did take this into consideration. So we, we need to ensure that there's visibility in what we are doing. When, when, when what we're doing is visible, people can begin to see the value in what we are doing. So the difference between top line and bottom line is significantly impacted by showing the business regularly this is what we said we would do, this is what we are now doing, and this is what we, we plan to do going forward. I want to ask you what you wish you had known when you started. But before we get to that question, I want to know how did you end up uh, studying with Harvard? Okay, let me put this in the perspective I put it to bed once and for all. It's an executive course that I didn't have. It's not something that lasted for more than, I think it was a full work week. Yeah. 
And it's really not... Uh, so the name Harvard is impactful, number one, you know, out there. My, my daughter might not have reached at MIT, but she's doing a, a full undergraduate thing. My stint with Harvard, I, I wouldn't have traded it for anything else. So at the time, in the organization I worked for, the, I think the legal counsel had this opportunity to go there. I was at a law school, not a business school. And he said, hey, if we go together, we get this discount. It was going to cost so much, you know. So we said, ah, hey, it's Harvard. Let, let's, you know, put money together. And we did that. And we got the discount. And, you know, we're at Harvard. So let's tell you about my Harvard experience. And it's one of the reasons I respected you tomorrow. The thing with Harvard is they all sing from the same song sheet. Every single lecturer who came in was talking about the same thing, but with their own uniqueness. The other thing about, so the course was negotiation and leadership, dealing with difficult people and problems. And the class was as diverse as we can possibly get. We had people from the military, we had people from the, the diplomatic corps, we had people from Disney. So you could be negotiating at the table as much as buying the next piece of equipment is a negotiation, as much as the Iran-Iraq war is a negotiation. And when we have summarized everything there, interest, just that word, interest, wonderful, excellent place. Yeah. Yes, I can imagine. I think it, it, it's, it's a, a value-adding uh, experience, really, to let. And uh, even, you, you say this one week, but I know some people, you know, prominent people in the world. I know Maria Sharapova went there for some short course. So it, it's really um, something that uh, uplifts your critical thinking and your perspective and that's what really is important at the end of the day rather than having a pile of books you know the ability to to see the world in different um ways as we are approaching the end i would really want to know from you because you are quite educated very well experienced and my question would be what are the key skills that you would say for someone who's starting, you need to attain A, B, C, D. What are the three skills that you propose that a person can find fit within this industry? I said, I mentioned one or two of them earlier in the conversation. Yes. One is simplify. The other is structure. Learn to simplify because there are complexities everywhere. Nothing is as simple as white and black. There are different shades of gray in between. And when you have so many things, find a way that works for you to simplify. For me, it's that three. Break it down into three. And that works for me. It doesn't have to be what works for everyone. Uh, but it works for me. If, if I see anything or if some challenge is thrown at me or I'm getting into a project, you know, that helps me I just simplify. Yeah. And I try to break it down to do all the three core parts of this. And I mean, nature basically does the same thing. We have water on Water is liquid, gas, and solid. Yeah. Human body is spiritual and body. Government is 
executive, legislative, judicial, you know, stuff like that. So we can be able to find patterns and then trends as well from that kind of a, a view of a, a, of the world where you've come form of order. Yeah. So we basically bomb into the second one for man facts for doing that. It's a bit fine for me, it would be, oh, there's so many. But when, what, the moment you've done that, you've already put in the structure, which is what you talk about, order, that structure. And I, I'll, I'll tell you how important structure is. If we don't understand structure, we won't be able to move. It's like Amoeba or something that is, you know, without the human body requires the skeletons, just keep it up, you know. So structure helps you to. One, stand, two, move, and finally get speed. I don't even want to look for all those specific procurements. No, 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 no. What you need is the simple common sense things. Yeah? Simplify when you see a complexity. To give you the necessary structure and order. And then you can start having speed or movement. Those are the three things. I think you have really that a, a, Give, giving it some, some jewels, yeah, you know, this is priceless. It, uh, something else. And, and, and it's so relevant in our environment because procurement is very important, actually, for people to be able to, to make progress and produce results for their teams and the brands. How do you, how do you, how do you, I mean, going from strength to strength, you know, how, how do you do that? How are you doing that? That's right. I think for many people who I interacted with, you know, when you're doing schoolwork or even if you're doing a professional course, your SIPs, your APICs, all sorts of them, you there's some structure which is there. Some structure that tells you that when you get to this point, you're going to be better. When you get here, so there's that structure. But after you've gotten your, your degree, you've gotten your whatever eh, 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 certification, or you've got the, the position of being a manager, and then what happens now from here? So I think what want to know for that person will become an executive. Well, what sort of resources do you rely on to continuously improve? To, you know, to stay on that course. Okay, there's always something to read. All that we've talked about today is going to be either discorded or some kind of format or the other. If this was just um, four years ago, it be somebody breaking down notes in archives and putting them in some kind of library with a lot of scrolls. Right now, we're recording. Somebody would have to transcribe that if you know wanted to do the same thing now. But in this thread is as is the same thing as reading. So when I say reading, launching means listening. People that are in audiobooks now. So if you people's ideas, works that have been done, strikes that have been attained, the Guinness Book of World Records. You know, I'm I'm taking it to the extreme talking about the Guinness Book of World Records. But what has been done and what can be done is contained in books. It's not what we to learn. In books add recordings. Yeah. The second thing is network. It means that if you are gravitating or your intention or your growth lie 
in a particular area or field, they need to find and create a network that operates within that field. So as a procurement person, I mean, goes without say, you need to find procurement networks or supply chain networks and the path of the network. Yeah. And finally, it is you that activity. It's one thing to identify and then to have the books and all of that and not do anything about it. Action. Those three, for me, will, will you know, deliver and I deliver for me is the reason why it might look like, hey, okay, so I had the opportunity to be on this podcast. I could have, you know, left it. I'm not taking action about it. But I only got into this podcast because of my network. Yes, yeah? yes. And, and, and my network was enabled because somebody read something I had, I had written. And somebody yes. heard something I had done. So, yeah. you, you know, you need to read and listen. You need to network with people. And then finally, you need to take action. So, maybe a few words for those people who are striving to become um, the very top of the profession. You have already shared quite a lot. So, I'm outside for life. <laughs> okay. All right. So, firstly, if, if you're listening at here, Understand that it's not a hundred meter dash, it's it's a marathon. So you could as well pace yourself. Enjoy the journey, enjoy the view. Don't just you know straight to the end. You really wouldn't make it straight in this profession. Technology will do a lot to help you straight under the actual straighting thing. But enjoy the view. Well, it's not a hundred meter dash, it's a marathon. Secondly, start from where you are. There's something you're doing now that you have not optimized. You are not at your optimum. Maybe I've always seen myself that way. I've never seen somebody who's, you know, perfected a particular state. So there's something that you're doing where you are right now that you can do a lot better or differently. So, you know, just look at words, you'll find out there. And it could be doing it with somebody or doing it the way someone else does it. You know, the, the best definition of innovation I've heard is not something new, but it's something that has never been done by you. Yeah, so it's innovative to you. You're not a copycat when you break something you've never done in your space, even if it looks old to some persons. But as long as it's not been done in that where you are and it can add value or will add more value than where you currently are, please go for it. I think we've come to the end. I'm very, very grateful for this opportunity to speak with you. I'm happy and open to opportunities to learn and to you know, share conversations and knowledge. Absolutely. So thank you so much. We will see you on another edition. Please continue to share and listen to the podcast. And yeah, we'll see each other at the top. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, so that we can share with you the latest updates and news. We also would like to hear from you, your comments and feedback. Until next time, I'm your host, Simba. 
meet me at the top.